Welcome to the City Place Church Podcast. My name is Josiah Williams, and here is my challenge for you. As you're listening to the message, I challenge you to remove as many distractions as possible, to write out a few notes and things that stand out to you, and afterwards, share what you've learned on one of your social media outlets. We level up by giving a level 10. Thanks again, and enjoy the message. Well, this morning we um, are talking about prayer because we're kicking off 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I want to lean into this idea because not all of us have been saved and loved the Lord all our little old life. And that means that some of us, including myself, always have room to grow in the area of how we commune with God. Before we do that, though, we are continuing our talk. So we're going to take it in full circle of what we started last week. Now, if you missed church last week, where were you at? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you see your neighbor here last week? Tell him, mm, 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 mm. I don't know if I need to change rows. But if you missed last week, I'm going to give you about a two-minute Cliff Notes version to get you caught up. Sound good? Okay, you've got message notes on your seat. And for those of you who know, you already know. I used to teach college. I don't play. We do homework in class. Right now, this is your time, okay? So grab, make sure you got your pens and stuff. There may or may not be a quiz at the end. All right. So we started off last week with this scripture, and I'm going to give you a refresh. It was found in Habakkuk chapter 2, uh, starting off in verse 1. And Habakkuk says this, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post, and there I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. He's got nerve, first of all, for calling it a complaint, but we don't have time to go into that. Then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. And this vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. We talked about this in our online service, and we said that this uh, scripture is so important because oftentimes, when, especially when we're at the beginning of the year, we're like, yes, I'm going to get started. I, I've got the momentum. I've got energy. I'm ready. I'm going to make the pivot. And we start. We just start running. We start doing the things. We make plans. We put goals in place. We put resolutions. We do all of the things practically and even spiritually. And then we wonder why we scratch our heads and three, three weeks later, sometimes three seconds later, we're dudded out and we haven't fulfilled the calling. And part of that is because we haven't looked at the blueprint that God gives us in his word. Habakkuk says, before I do anything... I need an answer from the Lord. I need direction from the Lord. I need clarity from the Lord. And so I will climb up to my watchtower and stand my post. And the cool part about the scripture is Habakkuk is changing his perspective. He's not looking at the ground and trying to say, what's my answer? He needs something elevated. And this is what happens when we go through the time that we're in right now, 21 days of prayer and fasting, when we elevate our position. We remove some things from our life, not because we need Jenny Craig's diet and not because we just have nothing better to do, but we remove some things that could be a distraction so that we get clarity over what God is saying. And this is the scripture that we uh, pushed out for a couple of weeks and said it is our job to take a different position and elevate our view. Then we asked ourselves a couple of questions and some of them pastor talked about just a moment ago. We said, who could we be in 2023 if we gave it all, if we did it all? And let's just talk about this one question for a moment. Like who could you be if you gave it all? You know what it sounds like, looks like, feels like, acts like when you give it all. And you know what it looks like, acts like, and feels like when you half-stepping. The other day I went to Orange Theory, and it was on a Friday. It was on Friday the 13th, and I showed up. And they never tell you what the workout is going to be because they know you won't show up. And so I, I went with my stretchy pants on, and I was ready to do all the things. And they said, ha-ha, it's Friday the 13th, and we're going to take it in, and we're going to take it hard. And I... I I, I like to think of myself as modestly in shape. I'm not like a whatever, whatever. But, you know, I can hold my own. When I tell you that 20 minutes into this workout, I was doubled over and ready to walk out. Sometimes we get ambitious about what happens when we put our mind to something. Now, I was over there doing the things, and the coach didn't know that I was not giving my all because I had nothing else to give. But I could fake it. Okay. Okay. 
I can fake it so you don't call me out in class and I can make it to the end and we do all the things and lift the weights and I could lift a weight a little bit lighter than I knew I really could because I needed to save my strength in order to be able to walk out of the building. My question to you is where can you fake it? You can fake it. You know, sometimes you're, you're the people closest to you don't even know that you're running on fumes. They don't know that it's been a long, long, long time since you've talked to God. We can push it because we can do all the things on the outside so that no one knows what's happening. But what would happen if we give it our all this year? And you know what that looks like. What is God wanting from you and for you in 2013? And then we asked a couple clarifying questions. You can find them here on this slide. And that's, what's the state of your heart? What things do we need to be intentional about personally and spiritually? Where do we need to add some gas and what things do we need to draw back on? Now, these are the real questions when we talk about giving it our all. In your notes, you find this first blank, which was our review from last week. In God's kingdom, everything flows from the spiritual. So often we're guilty of making the plans and asking God to come right along. God, I'm going to go ahead and step out, and if you'll bless it, I pray that you bless me in this new job, in this new endeavor. And I'm over here, around the corner, and up the street before I even ask God to get on the boat. Everything starts from the spiritual. His, his voice to us, his plans to us, his desires for us begin in the spirit, and we follow practically after, and not in reverse. But how many times have we been guilty? I don't want to ask you to raise your hands, but I don't have to. I already know because that's what it happens in me, so I know what happens in you. Everything in God's kingdom flows from the spiritual first. So when he speaks something or puts something in order or begins to answer a prayer or gives peace to our heart, it begins by his word and not our word. It begins by what's in his book and not our gut. We have four experiences that we said last week that God wants us to carry through the 21 days of prayer and fast. And over the next couple of weeks, for the remainder of this month, we're going to be deep diving into some of these aspects. We said, first of all, this is found in your notes as well. We ask for his presence. We need the presence of God. Just like Moses called in the presence of God. God, you don't go, I don't go. This is how we're going to play this game, okay? You go, I go. You step, two steps. Hey, 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 hey. One, two step. There we go. There we go. That God's presence his promise, the prophetic, and his power. We're going to be diving into each of those, so put your seatbelts on. But I want to park it in what we're going to be talking about today. Now, last week we talked briefly about prayer and fasting, and here we are in the first day. This is our first fruits day. We'll talk more about that in a minute. We utilized this scripture that just help us understand a frame of reference of why do we prayer and fast. It's not just something we do because every other church does it. It's not something we do because it's January and we want to shed 20 pounds. It's something that we do to give God the first part of something. You see, the principle of the tithe is universal. It's not just about money. It's this. You give God the first and he redeems the rest. You give God the best and the first, and this is found all the way in Genesis. Go back to Cain and Abel. I don't have time to go over it today. God said from the very beginning, you give me the first and I'll redeem the rest. One of the brothers did it, did it. One of the brothers didn't. And God was like, no, eh, that's not the first. You gave me something, but it wasn't your best and it wasn't the first and I don't want it. And so now when you, you come into church and you hear, yeah, we're going to be prayer and fasting. I'm not telling you we're going to the amusement park. I'm telling you we're about to go in. And some of us don't love not to eat. I have snacks everywhere I go. I like eating. I like eating. Can I get an amen? Y'all ain't amen in me enough. Okay, just making sure that we're in the right place. Amen, Pastor Ty, because I, a girl likes to eat. And so when we talk about fasting, I'm like, Jesus, Jesus. I told my husband, I was like, it's like dying. <laughs> okay. Okay, I know it's dramatic, but I'm saying for each of us, we don't come and are like, yes, I love it. Some of you do. God bless you. But it doesn't matter if we like it or we don't because it's not about our taste buds. Here's a scripture we have, Matthew 17. Let me read it very quickly. It says, when they'd come to the multitude, a man came to him, this is Jesus, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son for he is epileptic and suffers severely. 
for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't cure him. And then Jesus answered and said, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long will I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. And the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And so Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there. And it will not move. uh, And it will move, sorry. And nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and feasting. You should still eat. You should still eat. But pray. And you can do it too. That's what he said. He said, this kind doesn't come out except for prayer and fasting. Fasting has power. It has the ability to uh, put exponential, exclamation parts, glitter on the power of God. To say, this is what, he didn't say, y'all aren't Christians. He didn't say that. The disciples had given up everything. They gave up everything. But he said, there's still some things you've given it all up, but there's still some things you can't do if you don't pray and you don't fast. So here we are on the first day of our time of prayer and fasting. And, uh, and we know that being around Jesus is not enough. We know that just being close to him is not enough. We know that coming into church and checking our box is not enough. We know that being good people is not enough. That's not the conversation we have. What we do know is that power lies somewhere tucked up in the inner parts of Jesus, and it is our job to find it. Are you ready? Off we go. Beginning in Mark chapter 11, we're going to find our uh, our primary scripture for the day, although we're going to go a lot of places. You'll notice this scripture is a time. It seems peculiar because here is Jesus, our loving Jesus, the baby in the manger, the cute Jesus, you know, the flowing hair Jesus, the dove falls on his shoulder Jesus. He he parts waters. He's nice Jesus. He's nice. He's lovely. He heals people. He does the things, right? This is, that's our Jesus. Don't you love that Jesus? Jesus. Oh, you're so sweet. So sweet. In Mark, that's not the Jesus we find. Jesus is chilling on a donkey and he's coming in. He's beginning his official ministry truly as he is declared as the Lamb of God. He's already been on the move, but this is a different season as as the people are beginning to recognize this man is the Lamb of God. He is different than just a healing God. He is he is God. And and now he's taking his rightful place. He rides in on the donkey. He makes a couple spit, uh, pit stops. He goes to the temple and here we find a problem. Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 15, going through 17. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts, and he began to drive out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of money changers and the benches of those selling doves and wouldn't allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he says, Is it not written that my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you've made it a den of robbers. It's so weird. It's an odd, it's an odd scripture. And sometimes we can even gloss over like no big deal. Jesus got upset. People were kind of being whatever, but why did Jesus get upset? And what does it mean to you today? Jesus got upset for a very specific reason. He was upset because his house, the house of worship was being used outside of its original purpose. He didn't take his time. His father didn't direct Solomon to build bricks and do the things and make fragrant offerings and and bring in a a, a series of people, the Levites who would worship him uh, peculiarly forever. He didn't do all of that so that you and I could make a, a quick buck off of the people coming in to make sacrifice. It was common practice uh, that you had doves and pigeons, depending upon how much money you had. You would bring in these offerings so that there would be a forgiveness of sin. There were different kinds of offerings. There were different atonements. And so the people that were changing money were taking advantage of the people that were traveling long distances and often adding in a hefty uh, profit. You know what I'm saying? I know you're going to be here anyway worshiping God, and I know you need this dove. So I'm going to go ahead and provide you the dove. I'm just going to go ahead and add my markup on it. I'm going to take advantage of the situation. I'm going to 
exploit, if you will, the fact that you know and I know you've got to sacrifice that dove to stand before God. So people stood in the way of what somebody needed to do to get right with God. They stood in the way and then made it about them and their personal profit. And Jesus was upset about this because he was like, oh, no, you didn't. Not with my daddy's house. This is supposed to be a place of worship. That's what he said, right? It's supposed to be a place of worship. That's not what he said. This is supposed to be a house of of prayer. He didn't say even, I want you to draw close to me. People were doing that. It's not a matter of Jesus saying this is more important than this. He said, let's get this clear. If you got one thing to get right, get this one right right here. Don't get it twisted. My house is a house of prayer. So how's your prayer life? In the old days, it was very clear there was one temple. Jesus was at it in this scripture in Mark. It's the main central point where people gathered and worshiped the Lord. They needed priests to do the job so that they could get right with God. There was one temple. Hear me out. Today, there's more than one temple. Hmm. Pastor Ty, prove it. Well, you're sitting in one right now. The place we, where we gather to worship the Lord. There are still pastors, but not in the place of priests. We don't stand in the way of you and Jesus. We are merely a conduit to point you to the way. It's different than it was then. Back then, if you were just any old body, you couldn't even get into the deepest crevices of God. You needed the priest to do that for you. Today, that's not the case. That's one temple. You're sitting in it right now. It's where we gather. It's why this is important. But there's a second temple. The second temple is you. The second temple happened when Jesus gave his life and the veil that was in the temple was torn from top to bottom. And symbolically, that meant where the priest, you had to have the priest before, let me rip it in half. So now there's no separation between you and God. There you go. Go on into the presence of God. The second temple is where the Holy Spirit resides day in and day out. When you say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. Take control. When you say those words, the second temple is you. And so when Jesus in this scripture is upset and turning over tables because his house, his temple is not being used for its correct purpose. We still have application today. Oh, so we shouldn't read scripture as a cute little thing like, oh, that's a cute story. Whoa, Jesus got mad. Ooh, Jesus has a temper. No, what does it mean for us today? It means that if your house, your temple, your temple is in a house of prayer, let's get it in check. Because that's its original purpose. The Bible uses the terminology and it changes over the course of the Old and New Testament. It, in the beginning, it says things like people that cry out, call out, call upon the name of God. You can see it particularly in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, it says like, oh, this king was awesome, but then he, he stopped calling upon the name of the Lord. And then in the New Testament, you get where the apostles and the people who were uh, following Jesus got into rooms to pray and they were called disciples. It tells us a little bit about how people acted and how they called upon the name of the Lord. And I just want to take a few minutes so that we're all clear about the the nomenclature, the terminology of what that means. Because it says this, uh, calling upon the name of the Lord is found all the way in Genesis. All the way in Genesis, when the first four generations of people were created, it says God created Adam and Eve, and then they had some kids, and they had some kids. And then this fourth generation, at some point, unbeknownst to everyone, started calling upon the name of the Lord. That's awesome, but disturbing. Adam and Eve knew that they weren't made from anything but God. Adam and Eve had communion with God. But they didn't pass something down to this generation or this generation until it got to the fourth generation where out of nowhere, people started calling on the name of the Lord. And this marker was distinctive about God's people. He said, the people who call upon my name are my people. In Psalms 4.3, it says, the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. He begins to say, those who are godly and are mine and I call mine are the ones that call on my name. 
So what does this mean to call on the name of the Lord? Let's talk about a couple of bullets. Calling upon the name of the Lord means to call him by his name. It means to be specific. I'm going to call not just upon a God, but this part of God, my Jehovah Jireh, my father, my gift. It's calling upon a specific name. This is the one I love the most, dependency. Calling upon the name of the Lord means that I am dependent on you, God. I need you in every facet of my life. I can't do this on my own. I'm dependent upon you. To acknowledge one source of strength. It means I'm good, but I'm not that good. I'm only good because I'm attached to you. Because I'm yours and I call upon your name, then I can go about my way and and do the things. It means repentance. It means, God, I'm human, and you are not, so forgive me. It means devotion and worship and declaration, crying out to God and saying, you are all that. You are awesome. You are not me. You be enlarged. And it means to cry out. Can I ask you a question? I don't mean any harm. I really don't by what I'm about to ask. The question is, are you a pocket cry-outer? Do you understand the question? Do you, have you ever heard the terminology being a pocket praiser? Think about it. Hands in the pockets. God knows my heart. He doesn't need my words. He knows my heart. He knows everything, and he does. But the word calling out also means cry out, meaning you use your voice and saying, I don't care if I look good or not good. I don't care if this person sees my tears. I don't even know them. Like, really, what does it matter to me? It means, are you a pocket cry outer? Or are you an actual cry outer? I know that's not really a word. It's just my question. The question comes, though, can we move beyond God just knows my heart? I'm going to do whatever the word instructs me to do. That sounds like a real good plan. If the word says it, let me align to it. But let me take a little bit of of examples for the different times. And these are going to be in this slide, but mm, they're not in your notes. So if you want to go back and reference these, go ahead and jot down the scriptures. Because here are some examples over times where people have cried out to the Lord. People have cried out in salvation, in repentance, in worship, in submission to God. God, I will change my ways, help in the time of trouble. And in times of just declaration, this marks one moment and this marks a different moment. Tried to include here some scriptures that were both in both Old Testament and New Testament so that we can find the application. And this is an example of homework, right? You do the things so that you can say, oh, wait, hold on. Maybe I have approached this a little laissez-faire. Like, maybe God wants me to cry out, and maybe he doesn't. So then the question uh, becomes, does prayer matter? God asks us to cry out. He tells us this is the distinguishing factor between you and everybody else. The reason he could say to Moses and Moses could say to him, don't Uh, don't, if you don't go, we're not going. The other part of that scripture says, we're your people. We're marked with your name. And how is anybody in any part of the world going to know that you're real if you leave us now? See, Moses couldn't stand before God and have that kind of statement if he and the people really didn't cry out to the name of God. And in this, I want to just say one quick thing before we move on to does prayer matter, and that is this. Pastor talked a couple of weeks ago about gone are the days, and this is not the year, where we ask God to do big things and give minimal effort. I'm going to go back to Orange Theory for a minute when I was faking and and telling the coach I was doing all the things, and I really wasn't because he didn't know my capacity. I know my capacity. He didn't know my capacity, but God knows your capacity. So gone are the days, this is not the time for us to say, God, and God, will you do, and God, I need you here, and God, I need a breakthrough, and God, this part of my body needs to be healed, and God, I need this. And he's like, so you're consistent in your time with me? So, So you don't have a problem praying? 
So we do and we say what, we, what we're going to do and we fulfill it to both God and man. We've got the basics checked off, right? We're not going to ask for big things and do minimal effort, right? And it's not a backhanded way to make us feel bad. It's a way for us to get it right and tight during 21 days of prayer. So back to my original question. We know that prayer matters because it matters to God, but does it matter? Does it move the needle when you cry out to the, to the Lord? Does it? Does it? I'm not asking you for a spiritual answer. I'm asking you for real. See, sometimes we have a problem when we come into times of prayer because a host of things. We don't know what to say. We don't know how to say it. We don't know how to sound eloquent. And frankly, at the root of it, we don't know if it matters. I'm going to do it. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say da-da-da, and I'm going to say amen, but, like, I don't see the change. I'm going to pray the prayer. I'm going to ask for direction, but I still don't know if I should take the job or not. So does it matter at all? Let me give you six ways and scriptures on the bottom. Uh, If you want to take pictures of it, I suggest you take it when there's two on the page. You'll see what I mean in a minute. Um, Six different outcomes of our prayer. You'll find these on your notes. The first one is prayer gives us resolutions, power, and clarity. I could have given you a hundred scriptures for each one of these, but the truth of the matter is when we study our Bible and God gives us enlightenment, you'll know that it's true. In this moment, I'm asking for your trust because I have to summarize. Across all of scripture, prayer gives us resolution to what we're asking for. It gives us power And it gives us clarity. It gives us it's this exactly, not that. It's not one degree this way. It's zero, exactly zero. And I wonder if we have that kind of precision from the Lord. This is what we get with prayer. The second thing that prayer gives us is focus, regrouping, and alignment. Alignment back to God. It gets us focused. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I've had some distractions. I see where this has eaten my time and energy. Let me regroup. Let me get realigned to the heart of God. Let me get reconnected. Let me get back to basics. Prayer, the third thing that it gives us is repentance and forgiveness. When we pray to God, he begins to show us areas where we could grow and get better. And let's not be afraid of this point, by the way. Let's not be afraid of the areas where God calls us into repentance and tells us where we can grow and tells us people and things that we must shed like dead weight. Areas that we forgive. I had such a beautiful conversation this last week, and somebody called and they said, hey, I want to, um, to, to really ask for your forgiveness. And they began to talk about a situation that I knew as soon as they, they spoke about it. I knew exactly what they were referencing, but it happened over 20 years ago. And they said, um, I've lived with this and carried this. I've realized in this particular area that I... I am so repentant. I am so ashamed. And my words back, I believe with the power of the Holy Spirit, the moment hurt. It hurt. But it was 20 years ago. And I know that I am not the same person that I was when I was 22. I'm not the same person today. And so I said, We've all done things and been things that we wish we weren't. We have the benefit, the gift of hindsight. And I release you from what you did at that season because that's what we knew. And we were doing the best we could. I didn't have a need in that moment to say, yeah, you hurt me. And let me remind you how. It was the Holy Spirit who was like, time to move on. Prayer gives us this clarity. You have held on to some hurts, and for some reason, the baggage feels okay. And it is time, hear me, under the unction of the Holy Spirit, to move on. Prayer gives us one more thing, number four, thankfulness and perspective. When we pray and we understand how big God is and how not big we are, we get our perspective straight. 
I've been working with my kiddos and um, in general, across the board, we've been working together when we ask a question, if the slant is always wrong, always negative, it's always, and I'm not asking a particular, how was your day, <laughs> right? Or tell me about that game. Or uh, tell me about this homework assignment. If our first reaction is always critical, it's always, it was good, but let me tell you this, this, and this, and this could be better. Then we know that we're out of touch with the heart of God. Because show me in scripture where God delivers messages like that. Where he tells you 90% negative and then sandwiches it like an Oreo with two positive things. I'm not saying it's bad for us to have perspectives or things where we can grow. I'm saying when you realize that you are overly negative, you have to say, do my actions all of them line up with the character of God. Am I meddling too much? You doing all right? You still love me, right? The fifth thing that outco- an outcome of prayer is answers. Answers. God gives us specificity over what we are to do and what we are not to do. I love this verse, 1 John 5, and this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. And this is why it's so important for us not to move. It's not to move until we hear him and we have prayed. And we don't pray and then move. We pray and then wait like Habakkuk said. I'm going to pray. That's step one. But so many of us skip step two, which is wait. Just wait. So give yourself some time before you need to make that decision. The sixth thing, last thing, prayer gives us proximity to God. Man, I love these two scriptures. I couldn't pick just one. Deuteronomy 4.7. And what other nation, this is Moses, is so great as to have their gods near them the way that our Lord, our God is near to us whenever we pray to him. Is that clear or is that clear? That when we pray, God comes near to us. What other nation has that? What other people group has that? Nobody. Matthew 18.20. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. It's so clear. It's so clear. God says, two or three of y'all join up and you're praying? I'm right there. But how many times have you prayed? You join hands with somebody. You say amen, do the things, and you keep it moving. Did you know that the Spirit of God was with you? Did you know that he was with you? Because that's what the scripture tells us. Let me say this as plainly as I know how, and I want to give you a resource here. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. I'm going to just rip the band-aid off. We're just going to say it. It's in your notes. You ready? Smile because it's going to be hard, okay? Based on what we've already talked about this morning, based on the 21 days of prayer, based on the spirit of God, the character of God, and all the things we know of God, it is arrogant to lead a life void of prayer. Based on what we know of God, based on what he does, based on how he draws near, based on how he answers our our, our prayers based on what we know he does when we pray. It is arrogant to lead a life void of prayer. I can't say it any other way. When we get up in the morning and we say, I'll pray if I can. We're demonstrating, God, I got this. I'm good. I got it. I'll see you at lunch. Maybe if I have time, because I might have a meeting at noon. Or we say things like, I'm going to squeeze in my quiet time right before I close my eyes to bed. And you know you drift off and you gave God the end and not the first fruit. You lived that whole day, you could figure out everything you needed to do in that day because I can't hardly breathe correct. You made it that whole day on your strength. And you think that the enemy isn't after our time and attention. Let me read you something from this book. It's called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by Jim Cimbala. We're asking some of our leaders to go through this book right now. I want to read you this this passage. This is crazy because it talks about how the enemy comes after us in the areas that you're not expecting. This is one of them. It says this, listen. 
Satan's main strategy with God's people has always been to whisper, don't call, don't ask, don't depend on God to do great things. You'll get along fine if you just rely on your own cleverness and energy. And the truth of the matter is that the devil is not terribly frightened by our human efforts and credentials. But he knows his kingdom will be damaged when we lift up our hearts to God. (laughs) We don't give the devil enough credit in some areas. And the fact that he and our lack of willpower pulls us away from the heart of God and calling out and crying out the way God told us to, the way he said, this is what marks you different from anybody else. The people on your job, they might not be calling out, but if you call out, I call you mine. I call you mine. And you think the enemy doesn't know that? You think he's not going to make you tired, bored, and everything else with your prayer life? Come on now. If he is the enemy of God trying to pull you away from God, you think he's just going to sit by and watch you pray? Knowing that that's the one thing that can shake heaven and earth? He is not concerned about your abilities. He is not concerned about how strategic you are and how awesome you are and how much energy you have and how cute you are and what kind of car you drive. He doesn't care about any of that. But the moment you drop your knees down to the ground, he cares. He knows that the kingdom of heaven will be shaken. Now listen, I I grew up not understanding prayer, not understanding what this all meant. And if I'm honest with you, I was bored. I came into a prayer service. We had prayer at 9.30 this morning. And, and for some of us, we just stand there like, I don't know. I don't know what to say. Like, that's a lot. You're asking me to do a lot. So I feel like a pocket prayer, but it's not because I don't want to be a prayer. It's because I don't exactly know how. I, I stop. I don't have any more words. So how these people sound and all eloquent and I sound like, you know, dodo and I can't put words together. Let me give you a tool. Okay, we're going to end our time with a tool. This tool... Um, Uh, We launched with our sisterhood Bible study. It's one that I I used, but frankly, it's a collection of a lot of different things over the course of the years. And so while it's ours, it belongs to us at City Place, it's for us. It's for you, and it's for um, us to really put our efforts back into the heart of God. But the spirit behind this was to help you pray. Can I help you pray? There's a couple of resources we sometimes give during 21 days of prayer. We've talked about prayer cards and the specificity, and maybe you have those resources. Today, um, I'm going to give you a very quick method called TRIP, T-R-I-P, TRIP method. It is found online, but it will not be online and available for download until after 1 o'clock. Say 1 o'clock. Say 1 o'clock. 1 o'clock, it'll be there. You can go. I'll give you the uh, website in just a minute. The TRIP method is a four-part method to help you pray on one singular topic. Part of the problem with prayer is that we try to come and do all the things, right? Our mind is scattered. This is not a good strategy for those of us that don't. If you would say, I need help in prayer, I am here to help. And I'm asking you to download. This is five pages online. One, two, three, four, five. You can download it. It's free. There's Just do it. And it will give you all of these steps that we're going to talk about today. It's also found in your notes, okay? The trip method. The first portion of what you do is you decide on one thing that you're praying about. Say one thing. One thing. I'm going to give you examples today. We're going to do an example of a scripture. You might read a scripture and you're going to pray through the trip method. You might have one prayer request and you're going to pray through the trip method. You might have something that God is prompting, poking, whatever, and you're going to use the trip method with one singular topic. Okay, the first thing you do is put your focus on the top and then you begin going T-R-I-P-T. Stands for Thanksgiving. That's in your notes. Thanksgiving. Why do we begin our time of prayer with Thanksgiving? Because prayer is about God and not you. Prayer begins by saying, let me start by refocusing my mind because we are naturally negative. We are naturally human. We are inundated with negativity. So God, let me take this moment and thank you for this thing. And thank you for this enlightenment. Thank you. I adore you. You tell God who he is. You make him larger and invite him into the time of prayer. The second part, that number two is R, say repentance. Say repentance. The word is not dirty, okay? It's not dirty. T-R, R stands for repentance. In whatever it is, the focus prayer, we confess 
uh, forgiveness, acknowledgement to the Lord of any gaps that we are aware of, any areas of sin. We, listen to this part, must be in a habit of confess, of confessing immediately, say immediately, and frequently. Why do we say that? Why do you say that, Pastor Ty? I'm serious about this one. I will park here for the rest of our time if it's important enough. Immediately and frequently, because when we kill things at its infancy, they don't become bigger. Then things like bitterness and resentment and strife and problems and going to sleep like this, it doesn't happen because we've killed it at its root quick. You do it quick. Hey, you know what? I saw you. I saw the way that you said that after I said that. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. Right then, before you go home and talk to your spouse and I can't believe she said this and and before it becomes this, I kill it right then. I'm so sorry. You know what? That came out wrong. I'm not good at this, y'all. I'm not good at this. We're learning this part together. We repent, God, of this area, this action, this hard-heartedness, anything that arises as we've been meditating on scripture. Then the eye of the trip method goes into intercession. Intercession. Intercession is prayers and deliverance for other people or other things. It's external to you. It's um, things, and maybe you have a prayer list of people who say, hey, you know, pray for this and this. Or they'll say, hey, you know, I'm praying for you. Well, stop saying that and start doing it. They go on your intercession list. This is during your time of study. Maybe somebody comes to mind. Maybe you have a prayer, a rolling prayer list, intercession. And the last part of P is personal personal. This is where you make it personal. God, this is what I've committed to, but God help me through it. God, I, I, you know, this is prayer for yourself. You can reaffirm how you want to be like him, areas that you're committed to, uh, anything that you want to come alive. The full trip method is going to be online cityplacechurch.com backslash forward slash whatever the slash is 21 days. I always say backslash. Then I see people say forward slash. Who cares? Okay. It's the slash 21 days, the trip method, five pages there as a template for you. Now, here's what I want you to do very, 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 very quickly. Let me show you something. Let me show you something in your prayer journal, the blue books that are on your, your seat slipped inside of there. Thank you, baby. Thank you. Um, slipped inside of there. Not inside this one. Slipped inside of there is a one pager front and back. It's small print. I'm sorry. Okay, sorry. I had to fit it in the book. We have to do the things. Squint your eyes, get good glasses. There we go. This is a sample of the five pages you'll see online. So when you go online, don't worry about if you can't read this. This is just a sample. You would work through, I've given you the T-R-I-P and exactly what those things are. Now what I want to do very quickly is show you an example. Okay, I want to show you an example. So let's say we are reading, as we did today, Mark chapter 11. Jesus goes into the temple, and, um, and we know that the main point, one point, is that God uh, wants the main thing to be the main thing, right? That's our focus. God, restore me as a house of prayer. Maybe that's my main takeaway. Maybe that's my scripture. Then going through the trip method, I would say, God, I thank you, T, that I'm a house of prayer. God, I thank you that I'm your child. God, I thank you that you give me access. God, I lift you up as who you are. I say that if there is anything, God, I just thank you for your place in my life. Okay, do you understand? Thanksgiving. Then I would say, God, I repent over the areas that I've made prayer. Like, in unimportant. I thank you that you're restoring and you've given me clarity. God, I repent right now. Repent means to turn away and go in the other direction. God, I repent. I'm going this way now. God, where I've not made your house, this house or this house, a house of prayer right now, today, I turn. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me for these gaps. Intercession. God, I just thank you also for the other people that are around me that haven't yet made and established you as a house of prayer. God, I pray for them now by name. Here are the people. I thank you for so-and-so and Susie and Jackie and all the people. And then lastly, personal prayer. God, I recommit to you now that this is my, my actions before you. I'm jotting them down. My personal prayer is this. Thank you for bringing it full circle. Do you understand how it goes? Okay, this is the trip method. You can do it for scriptures. You can do it for one focused topic. During the course of 21 days, every single day, we have for you a theme. A theme. How you will pray. How you can pray for city place. What theme and specific thing we are joining together corporately. You can go through the trip method. It takes five minutes. So you can't come back next week and say, I don't know how to pray, Pastor Ty. I don't know. I run out of words. 
You can't run out of words because I just gave you four steps and they at least take a minute each. At least. You know what I'm saying? Trip method. Is this helpful? You're welcome. You are welcome. I want to read you one last scripture and then I'm going to let you go. Watch. We were singing worship today. And this scripture came to mind. Let's see if I can find it fast enough. My little marker fell out of my Bible. It says this, Revelation chapter 5 and in verse 6. Um, then I saw a lamb. That's Jesus. Looking as if it had been slain. Slain. Standing in the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the elders, and he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Watch. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he'd taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Here we go. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense what's inside the incense what's inside the golden bowls I'm glad you asked they were holding golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints do your prayers matter yeah the Bible literally says that they're being collected before the Lamb of God before the Father so when we go through 21 days of prayer, y'all, this isn't just a thing. This is us putting a fragrant offering back to the Lord. At the end of the days, our prayers are held in golden jars before the Father. The people that are sitting there singing, worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb. With your prayers in it. I want to pray over you in the spirit of prayer. I want to pray, though, that, that you would fall in love with communing with God, with your prayers, that you would not get weary in bringing your needs and requests and thanksgiving and repentance to the Lord quickly and immediately. I want you to know what I'm praying before I pray it. If you ain't ready to receive it, now's the time to plug your ears. You ready? Go ahead and close your eyes. And just keep them closed as we close our time. God, I thank you right now that resting on this house is a spirit of prayer. We want to be responsive. We want to not hear your word and not do anything about it. So I am praying that the spirit of prayer would rest on us. I pray, God, that you would honestly make us discontent when we haven't communed with you properly, that we would not be arrogant in our approach, that we wouldn't strategize our way through anything without talking to you. God, I know that there's some of us in here that have prayed and we've tried and it feels like nothing has happened or frankly that you didn't answer our prayer. But I pray right now in the name of Jesus that those bad experiences would not be indication of our faithfulness back to you to do what you asked us to do. We are your people. We are marked in this way that we would call upon your name. So God, let us call upon your name consistently, immediately. Let us be marked and start different than those around us. We are not here to ask you for big things and to do little effort in this area. Let your house, let your houses be a house of prayer. That is what we pray. God, give us the willingness, the ability, the desire, the hunger, the fervency to pray. We know that you hear us. You've always been faithful. So we thank you for that hunger in Jesus' name. Go ahead and keep your eyes closed just for a moment. While we're just having this time, I just want to take a moment and, um, and acknowledge that in this same vein, some of us have moseyed our way into church in this January. And listen, I know that you maybe got invited by a friend or you walked in all solo, all brave, and look at you go. But in a time like this, I know that you didn't come into church just to be tickled because you had nothing else to do. I know that you want to hear from God. I know that you... You did all the things and put your cute self together in order to hear and experience God. So let me introduce you to him. 
Regardless if you've been walking with God for years and years or if this is the first time you found yourself in a church like this, it doesn't matter. The same is true for all of us. Many of us have the ability to take one step forward. That one step forward, if you've never uh, been in an environment like this, is just simply saying, God, you are the head of my life. Maybe I've been living on my own and not without you, but God, let me get that uh, fixed real quick this morning. And I want to put you front and center. That is called salvation. Or maybe some of you have been walking with God for years and years, but you say 2023 has to be different. And although I know him as my savior, I need to recommit myself to him. Because frankly, Pastor Ty, I've been a little murky. And regardless of which one of those groups you are, I'm going to ask you symbolically while everyone's eyes are closed for you to raise your hand high enough and long enough so that I see it. But more importantly, God sees it. This is the day that the Lord has made for you. This is a moment where God has designed for you. Are you ready? Eyes are closed. It's your moment now. One, two, three. If that's you, that's your prayer. Either one of those, go ahead and lift them higher, longer, prouder. Yes, I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. Go ahead and drop them down. Everybody in the building, say this prayer. One voice, one family after me. Say, Jesus, I declare you as Lord of my life. Will you take control? I don't want to be in charge, but I do know that you died for me and rose for me and call me your own. So I receive it and I live different in the name of Jesus. Amen. Can you say amen to that? You can open up your eyes. Say amen to that. Thanks so much for tuning in. We hope that you've been encouraged by today's episode and we have one final challenge for you. Take something that you've learned today or something that stuck out to you and share it with a friend or a loved one. Spread a little of what I like to call that wisdom wealth with someone else. Wherever you are, I hope that you have an incredible rest of your day.